An old English proverb states, A man is known by the company he keeps, which I suppose has some truth in it. Yet we often tell ourselves that we decide how we act. Well, today, we'll look at how the company a man chose to keep brought him down a path he never would have found on his own. Let's get to it. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. Yes, and that includes sound effects. We do this by using true life stories of real people. Just a heads up, the story in this week's episode contains some scenes that might not be appropriate for younger viewers. So parental supervision is advised. I'm Timothy Gregory, and I've got a question for you. What kind of company do you keep? We often mimic the behaviors of the people we spend time around. And that can be small things like phrases they use or big things like changing our behavior to be more like theirs. So how do we make sure the company we keep doesn't drag us down to a level that creates problems for us or even endangers our lives? That's what we'll be looking at in this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. If your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump off too? Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this phrase and you probably rolled your eyes and said, no, of course not. Yeah, although it's an extreme example, it does speak some truth to the fact that when you spend time with people who make bad decisions, you might just find yourself tiptoeing to the edge of that cliff. Today, we're going to look at a man whose choice of company put him on the run from them and from himself. Also, you want to stick around because later we are going to give the rest of you an opportunity to enter our sweepstakes drawing for a prize. Now, it's not a cash prize, but it is a prize, and I think it's a prize you're really going to like if we draw your name. But first, let's get to it, folks. Part two of the classic true story of Harold Sullivan. watched a little collection work the other day. That's right. It's a very profitable business. We control it. Right now, we need the right man to handle it for us in your area. Right man? Pays 800 a week and fringe benefits. Show him the bedroom. Yeah, come with me. I'm going to show you a heroin addict. You'll notice she's cuffed to the bed. Cuffed to the... That's because we haven't allowed her to have any stuff for two days. Mister? Please, mister. I think I'm gonna die if I don't get a fix. I'll do anything for it. Anything at all. No! No, 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 no! Don't go away! Please! We just bought her from Texas. That's gonna be in your department, too. Well, Sullivan? Now you know all the fringe benefits. What's your decision? Can you wait a little? I'll let you know. I see. You won't have another chance. Take them back where you got them. Harold Sullivan saw as much combat as any man in the American Armed Forces in World War II, and later in the Korean War. Before and between his service in the Army, he was a tavern owner. A man who added dice games and slot machines to the usual attractions so as to 
capitalize on as many of his customers' weaknesses as possible. Sullivan's profession and his devout worship of the dollar very nearly broke his mother's heart. For years, she prayed, Lord, take him out of this kind of life before it's too late. On the one occasion he tried to go legit by working in a car shop, he lost his right arm in a punch press. After that, he almost gave up even considering a change of occupation until his growing connection with organized crime brought him face to face with a decision. He was offered a well-paying job in the juice business with a little white slavery on the side. And that's when he realized no matter how much he might worship the dollar, there were still some things he would not do to earn it. Hear what happened next as we bring you the second chapter in the classic true story of Harold Sullivan, right now on Unshackled. When I told the men who made me the offer that my answer was no, I knew I was in trouble. I just didn't know how much. On the ride back to my cocktail lounge, I hardly thought of it. I was too occupied with thoughts of my mother and of her prayers to take my boy out of this before it's too late. What would the world do without a mother's prayers? It seemed they had been answered. After the chauffeur let me out of the limousine, I went to see my attorney. Nothing to report yet on your personal injury suit, Sully. Nothing? Well, nothing definite. But the company lawyers want to see me the day after tomorrow. I got a feeling they'd like to make some kind of settlement. They'd better. You know what it's like to go through life as a one-armed man? I cannot imagine what, uh... Be tough with them. I'm gonna need the money. Well, what's the matter? Business slowing up? People drinking less? Neither one. But I want to sell out right now. I'm going looking for buyers. If I find any, I want you to draw up the papers. Absolutely, of course. But are you sure you know what you're doing? I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm getting out. I'm breaking off all my connections with people I should have avoided in the first place. And I'm putting myself in what you call a liquid condition. Just in case the people I'm breaking away from don't like it. That's all I want to hear. The less I know, the better. You're right. If I didn't know as much about these guys as I do, I'd feel a lot safer right now. Now, what happened next doesn't fall very far from being a miracle. Without any of my places of business being listed with a real estate broker and with zero advertising, in three days I had sold it all at a good profit. On the second day, my lawyer phoned and asked me to come to his office the next day. I was met with a winner's grin. Sully, I was right. They're ready to settle for that uh, arm of yours. How much? Here's the check. See for yourself. Isn't that something? 110 G's. <laughs> what do you suppose that arm of mine weighed? Uh, maybe 20 pounds? I don't know. Why? Well, my total weight's close to 200. If my arm's worth $5,500 a pound, think what the rest of me is worth. <laughs> That'd be better than 1,100,000. You really think someone would pay that much for you, Sully, dead or alive? <laughs> Besides, if you sold the whole carcass... Who'd be left to enjoy the loot? I'm just joking. Well, I hope you're right about one thing. That no one is going to want to pay for me, dead or alive. Just three days had passed since I tried to stall the mob. In that time, I had sold my businesses, collected from my arm, and was in what anyone would call a comfortably liquid condition. 
When I walked into the bank with my checks, I made out a deposit slip for more than a quarter of a million dollars. If you'll just endorse these, please, Mr. Sullivan. Sure. Ah, if I may say so, sir, this is a very handsome sum of money. Yeah? You know, of course, that one of our officers would be very glad to discuss with you the most prudent and profitable ways of investing it. <laughs> I bet he would. But not today. Maybe in a few weeks I'll be ready to think about things like that. For now, just keep it safe and handy. Yes, sir. And thank you, Mr. Sullivan. I walked out into the street and hadn't gone a hundred feet before I ran into a man I knew who had some syndicate connections of his own. Sully! What are you doing out here? What do you mean? On the street. What are you trying to tell me? I heard it just this morning, Sully. Or what? Let's, uh, let's step in the alley here. Look, I shouldn't be telling you this, but you always played it straight with me. Get to the point. I am. They put out a contract on your life. For how much? Ten big ones, the way I hear it. He was right. Nobody's worth a price of over a million dollars. Who? What, what are you uh, talking my about? My lawyer. It's nothing, just a private joke. Okay, thanks for telling me. All right, I can help the next per. Oh, why, Mr. Sullivan, is everything okay? Yeah, why? Well, you just walked out of here a few moments ago. I, uh, had a sudden change of plans. I need a withdrawal in cash right now. Oh, all right. Well, it cannot be more than a quarter of a million if you, you know, want... No, just enough cash to clear the sinuses a little, and... Oh, I, I need an international letter of credit to cover the balance. So then, you've decided to travel. Yep. That's nice. Business or pleasure? Neither. I'm traveling for my health. Now, get me that letter of credit and hurry. So with a big wad of cash and the letter of credit safely tucked away, I walked out of the bank, got into a cab, and told the driver to take me to Chicago. All right, we're here. Midway Airport. Here you go. Uh, keep the change. Now, look, I want you to drive out of here, then circle back around to the doors at the other end of the terminal. Pick me up there. Wait, what? Just do what I tell you. I'll, I'll make it worth your while. Where are we going? The airport across town. O'Hare International. In the terminal building at O'Hare Airport, I looked up at the nearest airline schedule, picked out the very next departing flight, and ran to the ticket agent. Yes, sir. Uh, St. Louis, first class. Uh, there's a flight leaving in ten minutes, but I'm not sure you can make it in... Get me on that flight. Uh, yes, sir. Well, what about your luggage? I have none. Now hurry up with that ticket. Yes, sir. Once in St. Louis, I immediately bought a ticket on the next flight out, which happened to be going to Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, I took a little extra time to find the next flight to Dallas. If they want to catch up to me, I was going to make them work for it. In Dallas, I phoned a friend of mine, a guy who'd also been in the tavern business for years, and told him I needed an overnight refuge. That evening, I sat in his living room and spilled my guts. Oh, Sully. I admire you, but I wouldn't want to be you. You're right about getting out of the country. Even then, they'll try and follow you. International may be your best bet. That's what I was thinking. But when you go international, you make them look in a lot more places. Tell you what I'll do. I know some people who specialize in forged passports and that sort of thing. Give me some money to work with and I'll have all the papers you need by morning. He did, too and it set me back some $16,000. 
At that point, I abandoned the name Sullivan and didn't use it again for years. From Dallas, I flew to Mexico, and within a day or two was in Quito, Ecuador. Now, I had been moving about as rapidly as anyone could, but there was one thing wrong with my procedure. I was traveling on scheduled flights, in and out of busy airports, and in contact with a great many people. And a man, five feet seven, built like a wrestler with only one arm, is easy to notice and not easy to forget. I knew that with any luck, the hitman who had been paid to kill me might be close on my tail. I needed to mix it up. So I found an opportunity with a young Ecuadorian kid who was commander of a string of pack burrows. See, si, senor, we cross over these montanas, uh, the burros and me, with bags full of coffee beans. Then sometimes I pick up things for trading on the other side, and we go back for more coffee. Now, tell me, on a trip like that, how many people are you likely to meet along the way? Travelers? Mm, usually nobody. Indios, yes, of course. Uh, and how far east do you go? The Napo River. It runs into the Amazon. I see. So, how do you feel about letting me go with you? You got to walk most of the way, you know. Walk? But what about these... <laughs> the burro is strong, senor. But you are a big man. The burro, she cannot carry you up the mountain. All right. You lead the way, muchacho, and I'll walk all the way across the Andes. Yes, senor. For a small fee. Sure, I'll pay it. Let's get started. Si, senor. Pronto. Buro, 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 buro. Arriba. Buro, 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 buro. Vámonos. Buro, buro, buro. If you haven't crossed the high Andes on foot with a boy and a string of burros for a company, you haven't really seen South America. Days after we started out, many days, we began dropping down into the green jungle on the upper tributary region of the Amazon River. At last, and I'd almost given up hope of ever seeing a human community again, we reached a tiny village on the upper lengths of one of the tributaries. There, my pack train friend negotiated with an Indian boatman who owned a dugout canoe and an outboard motor. Within an hour, I was on my way downstream. There, senor, the next village. There you must find another boatman. What about the float plane tied up over there? Uh, maybe I can make a deal with the pilot to take me out? You can try. He's a gringo too. Piloto Evangelico. The Piloto Evangelico was a missionary pilot, flying supplies and people in and out of remote mission stations. I told him I wanted to be taken out to one of the coastal cities where I can find an ocean-going vessel. Well, I suppose it's possible. But? Well, it's a bit farther out than my usual run. Ah, stupid mosquitoes. I can't bear another day in this jungle. I, uh, I have been planning to take the aircraft all the way down to Buenos Aires. It is due for an engine change, and there's a shop down there I, I have a lot of confidence in. Well, how's this for a proposition? You fly me to Buenos Aires, and I'll pay for the new engine. Now, that's a very fair offer. You got a deal. Before we took off from the surface of the river the next morning, the pilot bowed his head there in the cockpit and prayed. Later, when we were flying over the green jungle and following the ribbon of river below, I asked him about that, and he was willing to explain. Now, don't misunderstand. When Christians pray like that, they're not rubbing a rabbit's foot. 
I know God expects me to use the good sense he gave me to keep the airplane properly maintained and to keep my proficiency as a pilot as high as possible. Then why do it? Well, when I pray before taking off, I'm just saying, Lord, here's this airplane you've given to us to use in your service. Here I am, weak and subject to error. And here's my passenger who is trusting in me. In the same way, but to a much greater degree, I'm trusting in you for a safe flight, if that is your will. And if the plan calls for a crash or a forced landing, then I'm trusting you to use even that for your glory. Uh, finally, if it's time for you to call me home, that's all right too, because I'm trusting in Jesus, my savior. I don't know about that last part. I don't want to be called home, especially with the life I've led. Well, that isn't the point. God's word says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no elite class among sinners. We all stand the same before God, and our only hope for salvation is Jesus. At Buenos Aires, I booked the steamer for Casablanca, where I helped with the loading of silks, bananas, and general cargo. You'd think that after the crossing of the Andes, rides in dugout canoes, and a lengthy plane trip deep into the southern hemisphere, I'd have felt secure. I did not. The price for my head might be $10,000, but the expense account for the hitmen would be unlimited. And they would not want to suffer loss of prestige by failing to kill me. When the ship sailed, I was relieved after I had made a careful study of the members of the crew. And after a short stay in Casablanca, I was trying to get to Australia by way of Pakistan, but that's where all my fears returned. Folks, we'll get back to Harold's story in just a moment, but first, I want to share a bit about how our ministry is able to bring hope to people all over the world. Unshackled is now in its 71st year of spreading the good news through powerful stories about real people. Our success is a result of God's blessing and the involvement of, well, supporters like you. When you contribute to Unshackled, it has a direct impact. Your support allows us to hire quality writers, talented actors, as you can hear, a skilled production team, and a devoted staff. Through your support, we're able to share Unshackled worldwide. So, in order to continue the work of spreading the gospel and allowing us to offer this program for free, won't you consider making a donation to Unshackled? It's really quite easy. All you need to do is click on the live link, if there's one where you're listening, or visit our podcast website at unshackledpodcast.org. That's unshackledpodcast.org. And then click the donate button. Or you can always write a check, Unshackled. We take checks. You mail that check to 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. We thank you for your partnership in our ministry. And now, back to part two of the classic true story of Harold Sullivan. Passport, please. Uh, yeah, here you go. Hmm. Mr. Freeman, you're quite the traveler. Excuse me? Your travels all over Africa, Egypt, many countries in Europe. What is your business, sir? I, uh, just a vacation. Hmm. Vacation, eh? Mr. Freeman, can you explain the bumps in your passport? Bumps? 
See here? Bumps can be evidence of glue or some type of alteration. Oh, that's... Uh, I, I had it in my back pocket. I, I sat on it accidentally. <laughs> I'll make sure to keep it in my jacket. Please do. Enjoy your time in Australia. Of all the cities in Australia, the one I liked best was Melbourne. It's very English in style, with narrow streets and an old-fashioned feeling about it. I lived there in the same hotel without moving for several weeks. For the first time in months, now years of running for my life, I felt that I might be safe. For the first time, I almost gave up looking over my shoulder, entering rooms cautiously, never sitting with my back to a door all the things a fugitive learns. I bought a car, drove around and saw the sights of the area and began to almost enjoy myself. I even made friends. Having the same today, mate. You remember then? I should. A man with one arm, if you forgive me saying so, is easier than most to remember. Not the first time I've heard that. But no use worrying about such things. If you don't mind me asking, what's your line of work back in the States? Same as yours. Ah, you're a pub keeper. Now, ain't that a coincidence? You know, you might be able to tell me some of the things I've been wanting to know. You can ask, but I can't promise to have the answers. You see, I've been thinking about an upgrade. Turn this place into what you might call a cocktail lounge in the American style. Why don't you? I don't know the first thing about how they run an American bar. You know, you may have a good idea there. Tell me, you ever thought of taking in a partner? I have. But most that want to come in as a partner have more ambition than they have money. If I took on a partner, I'd want us to share and share alike. The investment as well as the take. Right. I might just be interested in such a partnership as that. You got the money? I know where I can find it. You want to think about it? I like the idea. Let's look at the figures and we'll go from there. This just might work out better than I could have hoped. And if I can settle down here and live to a peaceful old age... It would be better than I could have dreamed. For the first time, my fear was replaced with hope. I could picture myself settling down in a place like this. I drove across town to my hotel, turned the car over to the doorman, and went upstairs to change while he drove the car to the parking area. Later, I went back downstairs and walked to the parking area myself, which is customary there. Now, where did he put my little beauty? Ah, there she is. <laughs> yep, Harold Sullivan, things are looking up. The charge was set off just a shade too early. If there had been enough of a time lag for me to swing the door open, then I would have taken the blast directly, and I'd surely have been killed. As it was, though, the door came off the hinges. Although it knocked me down, it also acted as a shield, so... Later that day, I returned to consciousness and found myself lying in a hospital bed. Well, you're beginning to take notice, I see. Yes, Doctor. How am I? Considering what happened, good and lucky. I take it you were missing the arm before the explosion? Not funny. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Will, you should know that there's a policeman outside the room. He wants to ask you some questions. Not now, Doctor. I'm in no mood. All right. I'll tell him to come back tomorrow when you're feeling better. Or next week. No. You can't keep the police away forever, you know. 
Cars don't explode like that without a reason. Or a bad one. And the police are very curious to know who dislikes you enough to plant a charge like that. Doctor, I'm not sure I know who did it either. And as for why, that's a long story. It was a long story, and I had no intention of telling it to the Melbourne police. More than anything, I wanted to get out of the country, to put distance between myself and the men who were paid to kill me. But to do that, I had to find a way out of the hospital wearing nothing but a gown. I had to get my hands on the satchel in my hotel room that contained my passport and all my money. And I had to do all that without being caught by either the police or my hired killers. Friend, take a look at your co-workers, friends, even family. Are they dictating your behavior? It's not that we are forbidden from spending time with people who don't believe in Jesus. In fact, we should witness Jesus in their lives. It's when we start to act more like them than we act like Jesus that these relationships become a problem. If you're not surrounding yourself with a community that loves Jesus, you are floundering without anyone to care for you in a spiritual way. No one is holding you accountable, and that's where sin sneaks in to take you down, and in Harold's case, tries to eliminate him. Proverbs 27:17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Is your community sharpening you? Now, we love hearing from our listeners here on the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, so send us your questions and we'll answer them here. It can be something you're curious about or just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave us a message at 312-281-1264. We'd love to hear from you, but in the meantime, here's a fact about Unshackled. Did you know that our famous organ hook or ditty played at the beginning of our episodes was composed in only a couple hours one afternoon by Lucille Becker and John Gillies? Little did they know it would be played on now over 3,500 episodes of God-glorifying stories from Unshackled. Now, before we get on to our sweepstakes drawing info, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled audio drama podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts on this same platform, Unshackled Daily Devotionals and Unshackled In Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry. And again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. Okay, here's the prize for our upcoming sweepstakes contest a beautiful wooden scripture plaque. And I believe the scripture on this uh, particular plaque is Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. Folks, this is a gorgeous plaque, especially if you're looking for uh, daily inspiration from scripture. You will love this authentic and um, very unique wooden plaque. The plaque has been sawn from a tree branch or a log uh, and cut in such a way to retain as much of the bark around the perimeter as possible. I didn't actually witness that happening, but I can assure you it did. 
it's been handcrafted around the natural character and the beauty of the wood that God created. So all you have to do to enter our unshackled audio drama podcast sweepstakes drawing, (gasps) that's a mouthful, is call 312-281-1264 or email podcast at unshackled.org and give us your name, phone number, and email. Your name, phone number, and email. The winner of this sweepstakes uh, drawing for this beautiful scripture plaque will be announced on July 26th, but the deadline for entry is July 21st. The deadline for entry, July 21st. And next time... You got a nice little place here. Thanks. We want to be fair to you, Sullivan, so we'll make you a deal. Harold Sullivan's greed led him into business with the mob. It's a very profitable business. Right now, we need the right man to handle it for us in your area. Can you wait a little? I'll let you know. I see. You won't have another chance. Who then turned on him and chased him across the world to get even. talking about the bomb in your car. Maybe you should leave the country. How do you think I ended up here? When his money and energy ran out, he came back to the place where the danger began. Sully, is that really you? Yep. Ha! I heard you were dead. Not quite. Would he find revenge or redemption? As we bring you the final chapter of the classic true story of Harold Sullivan on the next Unshackled. Heard in part two of the classic true story of Harold Sullivan were Stephen Spencer, Mark Forrest, Demetrius Troy, Howard Friedland, and Michael Wolner. Original music and audio engineer Don Badorf. Sound effects Michael Wolner. Recording engineer David Pierczynski. And script Jack O'Dell and Timothy Gregory. That's it for this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. So until next time... Unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ. <laughs>